0: What can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heaven and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. In this passage of Scripture, God gave Abraham three assurances. First, in, in verse 1, he promised to be a shield to Abraham to protect him. Now, this could be because, as we talked about just a minute ago, when Ab- Abraham had gone in and defeated these enemies, <clears throat> and with all the people that had been defeated, there was possibly some fear in Abram's heart that um, some of these enemies would come back against him. So God said in verse number one, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Secondly, God said he was Abram's very great reward. And although we talked about when Abram left um, Terah, he was a very wealthy man. He had lots of servants and Lots of stuff that he took with him to Canaan. And because of that, he was, he had accumulated a lot of things. So he was very wealthy. But I think God was trying to point out at this point to Abram that he was his real source of the blessings. Even though Abram had accumulated things, God was the source of where those things came from. And thirdly, there was an assurance from God involving Abram's concern over not having any children. Probably his greatest fear was this, because in that day, there was this tremendous desire to have children, especially boys, so that you could pass down all the things that you had, your family name, all your family possessions, and that was what you had to kind of preserve the family line. But Abram had nobody, and God had promised him all these great things that he would have, all these descendants, and still he looks around and says, I don't see how that can be. And God reassured him, you will have a son. So what Abram said is, well, God, I'll help you out here. I have this servant named Eliezer. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take him as my son and I'll leave everything to him. And we look at that and go, that's kind of strange. But in... In, between 1925 and 1941, there were almost 4,000 clay tablets found in an area called, in the ruins of what's called Nuzi, in Uzi. And that is near a, a city that we would recognize from the news, a city in Iraq um, that's called Kirkuk. These tablets that they found, these 4,000 clay tablets, were written around the time of Abram. On these tablets, it revealed that it was very customary for a childless couple to adopt a servant as their own child. Sometimes they would take a slave. If they had no children at all, take a slave, they would adopt him, and in return, everything they had would go to him as an inheritance. And all he had to do in return for that was to treat him like mom and dad. Pretty good deal. When Abram suggested to God that he was going to leave everything to a guy named Eliezer, he was just following a custom that was very common in that day. It wasn't like he was going off the wall and making something up. He was just saying, God, I don't have any kids. You promised me this, so I'm going to do it the way that man does it. Right? I'm going to help you out. It sounds funny when we say it like that. But at the time, he was very, very sincere about this. You've promised me all, this, all, all these descendants, and I don't have any children, so God, here, I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to adopt Eliezer of Damascus, and he will be my son. Um, no? Wasn't what I had in mind. He was attempting to fill, fulfill God's purposes... Through human means. You ever find yourself doing that? We're faced with a situation and we don't get the answer we want or we don't get it in the time frame that we want. And so we set out on our own to try to make it work and help God out. That's where we're headed today. Yeah, when we look back, we think that was silly. But God did not go along with Abram's plan. He said, that's not the way it's going to work. Eliezer's not going to be your heir. He said, you will have a son. He hadn't been born yet, but you're going to have a son. And you go, well, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, because Abram was 90 years old. And it just wasn't really that likely that it was going to happen in his mind. So God said, tell you what, go outside and look up at the sky. Now keep in mind, in that time there were no sitting lights. There was no pollution. So as he looks up in this beautiful clear sky, he sees these millions of stars. And God says, your descendants are going to be like the stars that you're looking at. If you can count them, that's how many you'd have. And I'm sure in his mind he's thinking... Well, let's start with one. And I don't have that one yet. But God said, that is how many descendants you will have. And I'm sure Abram's going, God, that, that's impossible. That That's not possible. He was saying the same thing that those people in 1955 said when they stood at this, this house of tomorrow and looked at this probably big giant machine then Um, And looked at it and said, this thing can cook food in a matter of minutes where it used to take hours. That's impossible. And Abram's looking and saying, this is the same thing. So God is trying to calm him down. He's trying to settle these fears. He says, I'm your shield. He said, I'm your very great reward. And I am promising you again, listen to me that I am promising you that your descendants will be as the stars of the sky, if you could count them. God saw that Abram believed, and he honored his faith. In Romans 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says it in a great way. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this manner? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's back up to the second verse. If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. If Abraham would have done all this on his own, then he could have said, I did it all on my own. But that's not what happened. If Abraham would have said, God, I'm, I've got it all figured out. Eliezer is going to be my heir. It wouldn't have worked. That wasn't God's plan. Even though it sounded better than God's plan, it still wasn't God's plan. And there are times when we find ourselves in situations and we know that God is there somewhere, but the answer that we're getting is either nothing or it's not what we wanted to hear and so we go I'll do it my way. Let me assure you God's way will always work. Our way most of the time will fail. When we take it upon our own because we only have the ability within ourselves when we do it our way. When we do it with God We can do as, as the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, not I can do all things, but I can do all things through Christ. And that's the, that's the hard part. Is a lot of times, some of you, unlike me, don't have patience. And everybody laughed and said, Lord help him. I am not a very patient person. And when it comes to to that whole waiting on God thing, I struggle with that. Because I'm okay with trusting God as long as he tells me how it's going to end. But see, when you do that, that's not really trusting. It eliminates faith completely if you know how it ends. But we're supposed to have faith. You say, well, how do you do that? I'm working on that. How do you do it? You just have to do it. And even though you can't see with your own eyes how it's working out, you have to believe that God knows exactly what he's doing and his timing is perfect. In the same book of Romans, same chapter, verse 21. being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He goes through this whole dissertation about Abraham, and he ends it with saying that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Now let's get this all in line again. God says your descendants are going to be as the, the stars in the heaven and the sands of the sea. And Abram goes, okay, fine. So here's how I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to do it through Eliezer. And God says, no, 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 that's not the answer. I'm going to give you a son of your own. And we would think that he would just wait. That's not what happened. In those same tablets that were found in Newsy, there was another prevalent custom that childless couples used to get a son for an heir. If the wife could not bear a son she would sometimes give one of her servants to her husband and say, okay, now you and my servant can have a child and that legally it will be your child so he can be a descendant. And that was a very common custom. And if you read through Genesis 16, that's what Abraham and Sarah did. God said, you're going to have all these descendants. Okay, I'll give everything to Eliezer. God goes, no, that's not the way to do it. Okay, well, let's do it this way then. And so Sarah gives Abraham her servant, Hagar, but before the baby was born, Sarah got jealous. Can't imagine why, but she got jealous and ran Hagar off. But while Hagar's out in the middle of nowhere, getting ready to have a baby, God appears to her and tells her that she's going to have a baby and his descendants would become a great nation. You go, well, I thought Abraham's descendants were going to be a great nation. Let's read um, Genesis 16 and 12. However, God told Hagar that her son would not be the heir to Abraham. Here's what he said. "He, He will be a wild donkey of a man. I like that. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, we look at the world situation in the Middle East today, and we wonder, why is it so messed up? There's the scripture that tells you why it's so messed up. Because Ishmael was the name of this boy that came along, and he was a wild donkey of a man. And he just was against everybody. And if you look over there now, you have Israel and the Arabs, and that's basically where they came from. Israelis, the Jews, came from Isaac, and the Arabs came from Ishmael. Now, Genesis 17:1 through9. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell faceward and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And I'm sure Abram, had, Abram at this time is going, look, I've heard this before. God, we've been through this, and I've tried to fix it two times. Once with Eliezer, one with this kid Ishmael, and neither time it worked out. And now you're telling me again. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Abraham literally meant father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now, you wonder why in the Middle East they're fighting over who has rights to that land? Because the Jewish people say it was given to Abraham and it was to his descendants so we're entitled to this is our this is our land and that's where the big fight comes then god said to abraham as for you you must keep my co- covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come there was a catch i'm going to do all these things but you have to keep the covenant Genesis 17 and 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Sarah meant mother of nations. Now, let's go to the Scripture text, 17 and 7. God goes through all of this stuff again and says, "Abram, you're now going to be called Abraham. Your wife's going to be Sarah. And I'm reassuring you now, at 99 years old, that you're going to have a kid. And this was his reaction. Abraham fell faceward. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Amazing. God has tried to tell him over and over and over, I've got it under control, Abraham. And now after the Eliezer thing, Ishmael is born. And now all these years later, Ishmael's probably a, a, in his early teens at this point. And God says, I'm going to bless you to be a great nation. And Abraham's answer is, he laughs. And then he looks at God and basically says, look. It's been about 13 years since you've talked to me. And now after 13 years, you come back and this is what you tell me again. You know what, God? I've already got it fixed. I've had a son in the meantime. His name's Ishmael. He's a descendant of mine. And that's the way it's going to work. Don't worry about it. You see, God, you kind of got it all mixed up. You don't understand how it works. I'm a hundred years old. My wife is 90. It's impossible for us to have kids. Besides, I have Ishmael. So why don't you just bless him and between me and you, I think you kind of overstepped your boundaries here, God. Because nothing's happened your way. So I've got Ishmael, so just go ahead and bless him. That's what he said. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. You know, you haven't worked it out your way, so let's do it my way. And just bless bless Ishmael. And I'll bail you out on this one, God. No. It still wasn't God's plan. If it's not God's plan, it's not going to work. When we set out to do something, we say we're following God, and we want to be in the will of God, then we have to do it God's way. Or it won't work. That's right. And we do the same thing. We look at Abraham and we shake our heads. And that Abraham, he just didn't trust God. the uh, tells that God is not concerning his That's right. God is not slack concerning his promises. That's exactly right. And we're going to read a lot more scriptures that say that. And we look at Abraham we say, I just can't believe that he couldn't trust God. How hard is it to believe if God tells you something that it's going to happen? I don't know. You tell me. Has anyone, don't raise your hand, has anybody ever ever kind of doubted whether God was going to take care of something for you? Sure. We are, Abraham was a human being. He got older and older and older, and now he's approaching 100 years old. He still hasn't had that heir that God promised. and God's still going on with the same story. And he's going, you don't understand God. changed me so much to have more trust in the Lord. Sometimes that's all we have is that trust in the Lord. Are we willing to do it God's way? Let's go to Isaiah 55 and 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, God is explaining this. This is way later in time but God's reiterating this because there was more people that were still using that same logic that Abraham did and he just finally said look folks my thoughts aren't your thoughts you don't think like I do and your ways are not my ways when you don't understand it's because you don't understand it in your own little human being mind but I'm God I see Next week, I see next month, I see next year what it's going to be like. You can't see that. So trust me that my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And that's great when we're in church and we hear those things and we can go, "Woohoo! yes, God's going to take care of all my needs, everything's great. I'll just worship the Lord. And then by Thursday something happens and we go, God, you just don't love me, do you? You just don't care about me. All those promises must be for somebody else because I sure don't see them coming to me. Nobody's ever thought that I know. That's just me. Back to verse 19. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, I think what God is doing at this point, he's kind of feeling sorry for Abraham. He's saying, look, your faith isn't really the best, Abraham. And you're having trouble seeing this. So let me just lay it out for you. I gave you like the the big picture. Let me give you some details and fill this in for you. Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. His name will be Isaac, which means he laughs, by the way. His name will be Isaac. I will take my covenant and I will place it on your son Isaac that your wife had. And his descendants will be blessed just like I promised it to you. Okay? I think God probably spoke a little slower that time. As for Ishmael, your other kid that you did on your own, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Gave him a time frame. You're having trouble with this, Abraham. I see that. So let me just give you a time frame. By this time next year, you'll have a kid. And not only will you have a kid, his name will be Isaac. But in spite of Abraham's faults and all the head shaking that we do at him, the writers of the New Testament, several of them, really held Abraham up as a model of faith. But see, it's easy when you're on the outside to look in and say, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Just trust God. You ever realize, and, and think about how easy it is to tell somebody to trust God? And it's not quite that easy when it's you. Apostle Paul said that all believers, both Jews and Gentiles, are Abraham's descendants because they too come to God through faith. Let's read Galatians 3, verses 6 through 14. It was by faith that the Gentiles came to Christ. It wasn't through their works. They weren't even God's chosen people. It had to be through something else. Now I want us to, to look at this and follow along with this, because this is, this is a really important passage of Scripture. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. He say, This is Paul in the New Testament. He said that everybody that, that has received Christ is a descendant of Abraham because that salvation comes through faith it's not by their works so anybody that receives it is a descendant of Abraham so those who who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith all who rely on observing the law are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law since we don't follow the law the Old Testament law We would be cursed if we were still under the law because we don't follow it. But Paul is saying that if that's what you're depending on, then you'll be cursed. But you don't live under that going on. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The the King James Version says the just shall live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. He's quoting from the Old Testament here. He's saying the law is not based on faith. It's a book of rules and you just follow them. There's no faith involved there. You kill this animal on this time. You offer up this sacrifice at this time. You do this and you wave your hands like this and you take the wheat and you shake it over your head. That's all it was. The law was a bunch of rules. But he's saying... The law is not based on faith. How much faith does it take to read something and follow what it says? It takes faith to follow somebody you don't see. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That promise that Abraham had, that covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants, since I'm not of Jewish heritage, if we were still under the law, I wouldn't be entitled to any of it. I'm not a descendant, a direct descendant of Abraham. But Paul was saying, we're not under the law. And because of faith, and the grace of God, we can all receive that inheritance. We can all receive that covenant that God made with Abraham that I will bless you and all your descendants. Read back through that sometime. Read that whole chapter, in fact. It's it's excellent. Paul, who wrote Hebrews, also emphasized that Abraham believed in God in spite of the seemingly impossible odds that he was against. You see, he believed in God enough to try to help him out. It wasn't like he just sat back and said, Well, that's never going to happen. I'll just forget it. He was trying to help God out. God, I know you said this is the way it's going to work, so here's Eliezer. No, Abraham, that's not the way it works. Okay, what about Ishmael? No, that's not it either. So he was still believing it was going to happen... He just didn't have down how God was going to do it. Sometimes we have to hold on to those same things. Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2. In fact, let's read Hebrews 11 and 1 first. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And faith is being certain of what we do not see. That's why it's called faith. If we could see it, it wouldn't be faith. If we could be sure, it wouldn't be faith. Why? Because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You go, well, how can I believe in something I don't see? Through God. He's never failed us. He never will fail us. If He says this is the way it's going to be, then that's the way it's going to be. Genesis 21, 1 and 2. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. How about that? Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. How about that? And we go, wow, that's amazing. No, it was just in God's time. It was at the very time that God had promised him. So here's... Abraham, 100 years old. Here's Sarah at 90, and they've got a baby. Now, this is this is an awkward picture. In the middle of the night, this baby starts crying. Sarah, why don't you go get the baby? I can't move. They're 100 years old. How fast do you think they're going to jump up and go get the baby? Just doesn't make sense in our mind. But it was God's plan. Years and years and years Abraham had waited for this. Sometimes even to the point where he tried to fix it for God. But in the end, God's plan worked exactly like he said it would work. It's so cool that in Genesis we see that Isaac arrived at the exact time that God said it would happen. And because of it happening like that, no one could doubt that it was God that did it. If Abraham would have had a son when he was 25, everybody would have gone, So? Big deal. But at a hundred years old, we have to look at it and go, that had to be God. Maybe God knew what he was talking about. A lot of times we as human beings, we tend to lean towards independence. It's difficult for us to place our future, our money, our careers our lives in the hands of someone else we don't want to let go of it but god that's that's everything i have and you're asking me just to to let you control it that's hard within our control if we hang on to it things might work out okay they might. At least would, it would be predictable because we would always know exactly what's happening. But do we want God's blessings on our life and His will to be done in our life or do we want predictable and safe? God stretched Abraham's faith, I think, to the point of breaking. Breaking. But Abraham still had faith. He still believed. He just didn't know how. It was one thing for him to move from Terah to Canaan. That was was a big thing. But it, it was okay. I mean, he still had all his family and had all his stuff. And it was just a lot of work. But believing that he was going to have a child at 99 years old, it was impossible And the odds were so high against what God had said that it made it hard to believe. And rather than resting on the promises of God, Abraham tried to fix it himself. Sometimes God stretches our faith. It might be... We have a friend or a loved one or a spouse that has a, a, a disease that is seemingly incurable. And we go, God, I don't understand why this is happening. This doesn't seem right. Or we see someone or it happens to us as Sister Joan where we lose a child and we say, God, I don't... I, That's just too much. And our faith is just being stretched and stretched and stretched. And we're thinking, God, I want to trust you so bad. But I don't know if I can. Isn't there some other way to, to test me? And then we read that scripture. In Romans 8 and 28. And when we read it, it sounds great. It says, and, and we know that all, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you know what? That's a great scripture to read to somebody when they're going through a problem. Seems so much easier to read it to somebody. But when we're going through a problem... It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I would say that's one scripture that at some point, if somebody is really going through a hard time, you might want to use that scripture. But at some point, sometimes it just, it's just hard to accept that. That's one of those things we talked about at the beginning. Are there things that we have trouble dealing with? Yeah, when bad things happen. And we have to believe this is for my good. I'm supposed to believe that? I don't see how that can happen, God. You're telling me that, that this bad thing that I'm going through right now, this sickness that I'm going through right now, that, that the doctors don't have an answer to, and they don't even know what's wrong with me, this is for my good? What? And then we look back at Abraham, and we can understand why he might have felt the way he felt. seems impossible God you just don't understand kind of the way that Abraham looked at God let me help you out but when we look at the scripture and we look at the experiences in our own lives and we see that God has never failed us then we have to believe that somewhere in there God is still the same God. The same God that did what He did for Abraham. Even though it took a long time, that same God hasn't changed. And that doesn't mean it's going to work out like, exactly like you want it to. I'd love to stand here and say, from now on, from this day forward, everything in your life will work out just great. But I can't promise that to you. What I can promise you, though, is if you are following God and you are following him by faith, whatever happens in your life is exactly what he wanted to have happen at that time. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. You've never had anything bad happen. You don't know that. There's a testimony of faith. You see, God doesn't always work on our agenda. I know I've set at times when I was facing something huge, and I know for a fact, and I will just confess this this morning, that I have set in prayer, if that's what you want to call it. And basically told God how to work it out. You see, God, I know I'm supposed to be praying and believing, but I've got this figured out. If you'll just do this and this, everything's going to work just fine. That's not the way it's supposed to be, folks. We're supposed to be listening to God. Lord, your will be done. You tell me where to go, and I'll go. Not, I'll tell you where to go, and you take care of me. Here's a good example. Picture a bicycle built for two. Anybody ever ridden one of those bicycles built for two? Okay. Our temptation is this. We want to sit on the front seat and steer, and let God sit in the back seat and pedal. You just sit there and pedal, God, and if I need you, I'll let you know. But in the meantime, I'm going to steer. Right? When in reality, it should be the other way around. We should be in the back seat and just following God and let him steer wherever he wants to go. And we just sit there and pedal. Pastor McGee made the statement the other day about the bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot. That's so unbiblical. God shouldn't be our co-pilot. He should be our pilot. That's saying that when I can't do it I'll turn it over to God. That's putting him on the back seat of the bicycle and telling him to pedal. It might work that way but think how much better to work if we're in the back seat and let God steer we just pedal. Right. That's exactly right. We we set him off to the side and just pedal for right now. And if I need you, I'll let you know. And we don't use those exact words, but in our actions, that's what we're doing. Psalm 37, 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. But, see, there's the promise, but there's a condition. Commit your way to the Lord. Let Him direct you where you're going to go. But I I just want all the promises, God. I don't want to have to To do all this faith thing, it's kind of like it's there's maybe a special offering being taken up, and I'm I'm not going to teach about money. That's not this is just an example, and and you feel way down deep in your heart that God is saying, you know what, you need to give X amount of dollars, and you reach your pocket and you pull it out and you go, that's about all I have, and you put it back in your pocket. And you really feel God saying, you know what, that's really what I want you to do. And we look at it again and we go, but God, that's all I have. You see, in our mind, we're saying, if I give this, I don't see how I'm going to do this, this, and this. If we had this complete faith thing down, we would say, okay, that's what you said. I really believe it's you. And we go on our way. But see, it's not quite that easy because we're trying to figure out in our mind, well, if I do this, that means I have to cut short on this a little bit. And we're doing what Abraham did. We're trying to figure out in our human mind God's way. Second Samuel 22 and 31. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. As for God, His way is perfect. Our way is not. When we're steering the bicycle, we might end up in the ditch. But if God's steering the bicycle, if we end up in the ditch, that's just where He wanted us to be. There's a reason. That's right, it was that big semi that was coming down the road that was going to hit you. Someone once said that God is in the business of doing the impossible because otherwise, he would not be God. Read your story. In the 1920s, new engineers in the Incandescent Light Division of General Electric in Ohio were assigned, as a joke, the impossible task of frosting bulbs on the inside. Eventually, However, an undaunted newcomer named Marvin Pipkin not only found a way to frost bulbs on the inside, but developed an etching acid that gave the bulbs minutely rounded pits instead of sharp depressions. This materially strengthened each bulb. The advantages of frosting on the inside versus the outside are less absorption of light and less collection of dust. No one had told Marvin... It couldn't be done, so he did it. And sometimes we need to look at God and say, I don't see how. I don't understand. I don't have the answers. But God, I'm just going to believe you can do it. Angel came to Mary and said... "Um, Mary, you're going to have a child. You know what Mary said? She gave him all the reasons why that was impossible. Let me explain it to you, Mr. Angel person. This is the way it works. I can't have a kid. And the angel said, oh, but you are. But you don't understand. And in Luke 137, this was the answer that the angel Gave Mary. For nothing is impossible with God. Simple answer. Very simple answer. Nothing is impossible with God. Mark 10 and 27. If we trust God and go the way that He has promised to lead us, this is what Jesus said. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. When we see a situation and we can't figure it out, it's okay. Jesus even said, With man it is impossible. If you're looking at it and saying, That situation is impossible. You could be right. Because with man, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God bless you. Let's take about five minutes and then we'll come back in and have our starter worship service.